Today's New Testament reading comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-7. through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It is a joy and a privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, for those of you that were here last night, I was remiss not to extend Rebecca's love and greetings. She was sad that she couldn't be with us this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I came and joined the church in 2011 and was here for just uh, almost five years. And I wish you could see what I get to see this morning. Uh, the picture of God's faithfulness. As I see many familiar faces and some that I don't know but are here by God's grace. Before I pray, let me just speak to the choosing of this passage this morning from 2 Timothy. For those of you that are familiar with it, it might seem an odd choice on an occasion of celebration. Uh, We are celebrating God's 15 years of work here at One Ancient Hope, and yet this letter to Timothy is written not in the context of celebration, but in the context of suffering and sorrow. If you're familiar... uh, Timothy and Paul have worked together for many years, and Paul writes this from prison, his second imprisonment in Rome, as he is considering his own likely death. And so much of this letter is his final instructions as he prepares to depart from this world. And yet I chose it in light of the wisdom we have from Ecclesiastes chapter 7, 2 and 3. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. In the midst of Paul's sorrow and Timothy's struggle, the good things of God shine brighter in the darkness that we might learn to celebrate and rejoice and be thankful. So with that in mind, let me pray that God would shine his light for us now. Oh Lord, what a splendid privilege and tremendous burden it is to proclaim your word to your people. And you know what is in my heart and in the hearts of all those that are gathered here. And you know our need for encouragement, for correction, for equipping, and for empowerment this morning. As Paul speaks to Timothy, as your spirit speaks to the church this morning, Would all that we hear from my lips be unto your glory, for the good of your people. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. It was enjoyable to get together and enjoy good food last night and have a bit of a party before we came and worshipped. And we as a culture are, are good at parties, 
but I don't know that we are so good at celebrating truly. I was reminded of some statistics about marriage, for instance, that the average wedding costs $30,000 right now. But half of marriages end in divorce, and that rate only goes higher if it's the second or third marriage, and most marriages that end in divorce only last eight years. The point is not about the problems with marriage in our society, but the point is we can spend all this money to have a party to celebrate an occasion, and yet the content of what is being celebrated, that particular gift of marriage seems lost in the desire to celebrate. And as that is lost, the investment in what God has provided in the joining together of two in one flesh is cast aside rather than to enter into the storms of life anchored together. This morning, as we live in a time and age, and much like Paul's, where we're good at parting but not so good at celebrating, my hope this morning is that as we celebrate We are celebrating the faithfulness of God and truly treasuring what he's done at One Ancient Hope and throughout his church in memorial so that as we celebrate it, knowing the worth of what we're celebrating, that we might carry it forth knowing the goodness, not just of what was before, but what we trust and hope God will provide in the future. So this morning as Paul writes to Timothy, as he is prepared to depart He reflects on God's ancient faithfulness to bring Timothy to this place in his life and to that point in his ministry and calls Timothy to steward that in hope. This morning, I would hope that we can dwell with thanksgiving on the ancient faithfulness of God to his people and steward that in the hope that is the future for this church and all God's people. But to celebrate well, we want to know what it is that we are celebrating And Paul invites Timothy into a picture of what he himself is celebrating. Paul frequently opens his letters with thanksgiving. But as he does so, he doesn't just tell Timothy he's thankful for Timothy. But he talks about the fact that he is thankful to God. That the context is not just a thank you note. Hey, Timothy, I'm glad for you. Thanks for all that you did for me. But he invites Timothy to look over his shoulder into his prayer life with God. And this is, I think, what is so important for us, is while Timothy is a reason for gratitude for Paul, and Paul expresses that gratitude to Timothy, the primary recipient of that gratitude is God. For all of the relationship, all of the joy that there is in this relationship between Paul and Timothy, the gratitude that is extended is to God. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Timothy is an opportunity. Timothy is a a, a lens through which God's faithfulness is apparent to Paul, by which he gives thanks to God. And so I want to spend a few moments considering what the text invites us to see about God's faithfulness just in this one person of Timothy. First of all, I'm going to work kind of backwards through the text from verse 5. But he says, starting in verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith. And we know that Paul, when he looks at anyone that expresses faith in God, that they, he recognizes that that is a gift from God. 
He doesn't say, Timothy, I'm glad you believe. Timothy, I'm, I'm glad you've worked this sincere, real, saving faith in yourself. No, he's saying, Timothy, when I see that sincere faith in you, I thank God. In Timothy is the gift of God to work faith. To work faith in this man and through that faith to work in him a ministry. But no sooner does he mention that faith in him than he recognizes where that sincere faith existed before Timothy. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you. No sooner does God reflect on the faithfulness to produce faith in Timothy than his mind is immediately brought to the faith of his grandmother and mother. And to invoke their faith is to invoke the covenant promise that God made to Abraham that I will be God to you and your offspring after you. In Timothy is a picture of God's grace to save and produce faith. In Timothy is a picture of God's faithfulness through the generations. You notice how Paul opens the letter. Verse 2, he says, To Timothy, my beloved child. Timothy represents God's work to produce faith in him. Timothy represents God working through the generations as he promised. And he represents here the opportunity for us to come together as a family in Christ. Paul met Timothy after he was a Christian. He didn't give birth to him spiritually. Whereas Timothy's dad, we don't know much about him except for that he was likely a Gentile and his faith is not mentioned. When he did not have that father figure to to help him walk in that faith, when we know that Timothy often struggled with discouragement and fear, God provided for him a spiritual father. One to nourish him, to encourage him. This letter is the fruit of that, that he has taken time to spiritually connect to this one whom he wants to invest in, not only invest in in terms of some kind of tit for tat or I'm investing in the kingdom, but whom he desires to see, that there might be great joy. And at the end of the letter, he hopes that they might see each other again. Timothy represents the faithfulness of God to produce saving faith, his faithfulness to the covenant, to bring together a family in Christ. And it extends even further than that. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers. Paul's heritage is a Hebrew of Hebrews who thought himself before Christ worked in his life to be upholding the truth of the Old Testament as he opposed the revealed Messiah. This is a testimony, first of all, to God's faithfulness to the generations beforehand that that told the story over and over again, over generations from the time in Deuteronomy 6 until the time when Paul was ministering. And yet even this declaration that he is serving God faithfully, we know is the work of God's kindness. Because he was opposed to the very Messiah he was meant to serve, and yet Christ appeared to him that he might be used of God, not to attack the church, but to establish it for the glory of God. Timothy testifies to God's saving grace, to his covenant faithfulness, to his work throughout the generations to produce a people for himself. And yet, even as Paul is sharing these things with Timothy, there's one other thing that, that might go past us. 
Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. We're gifted by the fact that Paul opens a lot of his letters similarly. And it might not be apparent to Timothy when he reads these words, but we know what's in the heart of Paul as he writes these words with regard to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. If you were to turn over a page or two in your Bibles, Paul opens his letter to Titus with similar words, and yet they're a little bit fuller. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. The life that Paul evokes with regard to Christ as he writes to Timothy is the promise of life that God had established before the foundation of the world. And so as Paul shares with Timothy his gratitude to God for Timothy, he lays out the grand vista of God's covenant faithfulness, his providence, not just in one life, not in just one family line, not just in one nation, but throughout the history of all creation. Paul is an acorn connected to an oak tree of hundreds of thousands of leaves, held together by innumerable branches, rooted together in one trunk, which what we know about oak trees is even greater than the foliage above the ground is the unseen network of roots underneath that nourish that tree. And as we've studied more in science, we've we've found out that that those trees don't even nourish themselves alone, but there's a network underground on the sharing of resources, the sharing of nutrients for the success of that tree. It's produced this acorn of Timothy. There's a testimony to the faithfulness of God who works all things for the good of those who he's called to know him. And not only for the good of Timothy, but What we know is that through Timothy, God then blesses the church, ministers to the church in Ephesus. While Timothy is a unique Christian, his story is not unique. Every Christian, every church, is a reflection of God's providential faithfulness since the very beginning of time. Since the very beginning of time, God had in his mind's eye the establishment of one ancient hope. The calling of those to know him who he has shown salvation at this church. The bringing in of those to disciple others and care for others. God shows in you and those who are sitting next to you at this church that he is faithful, that he is sovereign, and that he saves. Amen? Amen. And then he works through those he has brought to himself to bless others. Not only has one ancient hope existed from time immemorial in the mind of God to show forth his faithfulness as he produces faith and service in this people, but then that service then in turn blesses others. My eight-year-old son is here this morning as one who received the sign of baptism in this church to which some of you who sit here promise to encourage us to raise him in the admonition of the Lord. This church has sent out doctors and nurses and professors, servants, friends and neighbors. The culmination of God's plan is not one ancient hope, but one ancient hope is one of God's pictures of his faithfulness throughout all of history. 
We're not just celebrating one ancient hope any more than Timothy is celebrated by Paul. We are giving thanks to a God who works all things together according to his providence, according to his plan to bring great things about. This church exists because of people who shared faith, maybe with you or your parents, of coaches and teachers who encouraged us in the faith. This church doesn't exist without Covenant Theological Seminary or Mission to North America Disaster Relief or the people that ministered to you and sent you to this church. And so when we give thanks to God, when we celebrate, we're not just celebrating this building, this group of people. We're celebrating a faithful God who is worthy of trust and hope because he has been faithful since the very beginning. Why does Paul share this with Timothy? Why does he invite him into this picture of God's profound faithfulness? Surely it's to invite him into similar gratitude, into similar worship, but it's also to prepare him to continue to minister in hope after Paul departs this earthly life. He knows that there are storms ahead for Timothy. That there is division and uh, conflict within the church. That there is suffering and persecution ahead for him. And so he wants him to be prepared to continue to minister, to endure with hope in that ministry. As stormy days come forward. Since I left One Ancient Hope, I've taken up a new hobby. I've begun rowing uh, with a, a local rowing club and. If you're not familiar with rowing, we're not talking about these big rowboats. We're talking about these skulls made for speed. And the thing about these is that they're narrower than my hips and about eight inches deep. And that means that I've become someone that pays attention to the weather. Because it's one thing to go out on the beautiful Merrimack in New Hampshire when it is 50 degrees and the water is flat and there's no wind. But as soon as my weather app says, seven miles per hour, 10 miles per hour, the likelihood that I flip my boat into the water and have a cold swim back to shore goes up. So it would be unwise for me to take this narrow rowboat into stormy waters. And so for those who down in Massachusetts row in the bay, they have wider, they have deeper rowboats. And then there are those the crazy people who row by themselves or with one or two other people from California to Hawaii, and those boats are even deeper. Because if there are stormy waters ahead, you want to have a deep keel and a wide berth to keep you steady. Paul has drawn the attention to Timothy with gratitude to God to the history of his redemptive provision so that he sees that his keel is deep. That the limitations for his hope of future ministry is not limited to Timothy. It's not limited to the church in Ephesus. The only limitation to the ministry ahead of Timothy is God's provision, which is without limit. And so that's why he says to Timothy, Therefore, as I am reminded of this faith that has been passed on to you by your your grandparents, I want to remind you of the gift that was given you in the laying on of hands. And he says of what he's supposed to do with that gift, he says this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
If one ancient hope, if those sitting in these seats, if those visiting with us this morning, if Timothy is tempted to fear, the deep keel of God's redemptive work in his church is a counter to that fear as he points to God's work in him. It's interesting here that, that Paul, he speaks of the particular calling and giftedness of Timothy through the laying on of hands, and we read of that in 1 Timothy. So Paul has a particular call in the particular ministry of Timothy. But though they are very different in disposition and personality, he says this, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And I think the ESV is right in not making that the Holy Spirit, though, there. But it's pointing to what the Holy Spirit does to our spirits. That we are not empty vessels in which the Holy Spirit comes and does things through us as robots, but the power of transformation of the Holy Spirit is to change us into conformity with Christ of whose image we bear into this world. And so Timothy is encouraged to know that the Spirit of God at work in him is transforming his spirit, the Spirit at work in all of us in the church, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Briefly, I want to just dwell on these. First of all, power. The power at work in Timothy, the power at work in Paul, the power at work in One Ancient Hope, the power at work in God's people today is not our power. It is the power that God works in and through us. That is why we can trust in that power. We may be tempted at times to see the limits of our own resources, of our own abilities, of our own capacity when we face difficult challenges ahead. We say, I don't have enough knowledge. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough influence. And so at such times we might be tempted to withdraw, to flee the conflict or the storms that rage against us. This was often the temptation of God's people. They came to the promised land and when they saw giants... They said, God has brought us here for destruction. When Goliath issued his challenges to the Lord's people, the Israelites cowered in their tents. And yet God raised up a Joshua who trusted not in his power, but the power of God. He raised up a David who trusted not in his strength, but in the victory of God. He raised up an Elijah who challenged the priest of Baal upon Mount Carmel. And he has given us the power of his word, which he uses to bring the dead to life. Brothers and sisters, the spirit at work in one ancient hope is a spirit of power because it is the work of God to bring about his transformative power in this world. 1 John 4 4 says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Carry that truth with you into the future hope that God has for this church. Paul says, you also don't have a spirit of fear, but you have a spirit of love. When we face challenges, when we face conflicts, when the onslaught of change in definitions and sexuality or the questions that AI produces about what humanity is and what creativity looks like, when there's political divisions among us and we are tempted to fear, one of the things that we can do when we feel that we are under attack is to attack in kind, right? To lash out, out of our fear. 
But that's not the spirit that God has called us to. It's rather one like David, who though God had raised up King David to replace the line of Saul and who risked the raising up of a new line to attack him, yet showed kindness to Saul's heir, Mephibosheth, and bringing him to the table to show him love. This is what God has done through his church when, when an unnamed servant girl, taken captive by a Syrian warlord in Naaman, considered her master's leprosy and told him of a prophet that could heal him. Rather than being tempted to attack, we can go forward in hope because God has given us a spirit of love. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Romans 12, echoing Proverbs 25, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Romans 5, 8, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the spirit that God has given his church, not to go out and win debates, not to go out and win elections, not to amass for ourselves great wealth so that we can outspend our opponents. He has given us the power of love by which he has transformed the world in Christ. Two of the reactions that we can have when we are in fear is flight. We're reminded of the spirit of power. To fight, and we're reminded of the spirit of love. And some have also described the temptation to fawn. That rather than facing off with the person whom seems threatening, we want to draw closer to be more like them. And when we face the challenges of this world, we are often tempted to use the gifts of the world to quiet that fear. But we've been given a a spirit not of fear, but of self-control. It may seem like the challenge is too big that we just want to escape. And so while we decry what social media has, has done to the world, we would scroll endlessly so we don't have to consider what's out there. That when we're under opposition and we want to get rid of that opposition to say, well, I just want to be a little bit more like the world around me. That, that if I'm a little bit more like my neighbor, if I'm a little bit more like that political organization, if if I sound a little bit smarter like that professor I listen to, then maybe the challenge won't be so big. It might just be as simple as running to a big slice of chocolate cake because you don't want to deal with the reality of the challenge. God has called us to be a holy people, not to be like the world around us, but to stand firm in the power of Christ, in the love of Christ, and in the fact that he frees us from the slavery and tyranny of sin so that we can live self-controlled lives unto his glory. Titus 2, 11-13 says this, For by the grace of God, which has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope. If there's no hope coming, if there's no rescue, if there's no sincere faith produced by the power of God, then by all means be like the world. 
But if there is hope, we can say no to what is evil and we can say yes to what is true and good and beautiful because the hope that we have before us is greater than any indulgence in this present age. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control because Timothy is being conformed to the image of Christ, because we are being conformed to the image of Christ who came not to show his miraculous power, but to trust in the power of his Father to raise him from the dead when he gave his life. When people accused him and persecuted him, said from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, responding not with hate but with love. And when Satan put before him the temptations of all this world so that he wouldn't have to walk into death for our sake, he said to his Father in heaven, not my will be done, but yours. In Timothy, we see the faithfulness of God. In Jesus, we see the faithfulness of God. And so we can hope into the future. I was 22 years old. I had just put in my notice of resignation at Liberty Mutual. I just spent all the money I had saved in a year because I was going to start summer Greek. And a much older woman had agreed to start dating me and as I was preparing to leave the state. I thought, God is calling me into ministry, but I don't know if this is a good idea. And as I was finishing up some work at one of the last days, a woman who I had worked with for a year and a half came up to me and said, Ian, I, did I hear that you're going to come go be a pastor? I said, yeah. She's like, I, I never asked this. I, I don't know why I didn't think to ask this, but your last name is Hard. Do you know a Ted Hard? I said, well, yeah, Ted Hard is, is my grandfather. And she said to me, my husband became a Christian in the, Philist- in the Philippines during World War II because your grandfather shared the gospel with him. And so now I'm going to pray for you as you prepare to go into ministry that God would use you as he used your grandfather and produced in him, my husband, this life of faith. I hadn't considered that the story that I was living was not just my story. It was not limited to my concerns about this romantic relationship. It was not limited to the financial provisions I had for me. It was not limited by God's grace to the limitations of my intelligence. But God had already been working, not in just my story, but in that story for that moment, for that coworker to say, go in hope and faith in what God has for you. Amen. I don't know where you are in the story of One Ancient Hope. Whether this is your first time visiting the church, whether you have been here for 15 years, whether you have departed and come back. But know that the same God who demonstrates his faithfulness in working a sincere faith in Timothy through covenant faithfulness to his mother and grandmother, through his faithfulness to God's people from time immemorial is the God who invites you to share in that story, to be encouraged that Christ came and died for you so that you could be used in that great story of redemption. May God show himself to you. May God show himself in this church. May we celebrate. 
Because what we are celebrating is not one ancient hope, but the faithfulness of God. And we go into tomorrow not limited to this church, but fully resourced in the power and the love and self-control of God himself who is at work among us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your love and faithfulness. Thank you for your work at One Ancient Hope. Thank you for the testimony that you who are at work have been working all things out from the beginning of time according to your purposes. And so we do not need to live in fear, but when we go forth in the power and love and the goodness that you have shown us, bless this church for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.